This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. 2016 marks the 60th anniversary of the Hungarian Revolution, which led to mass emigration, with tens of thousands of Hungarians resettling in Canada. We'll talk about how they changed our country and what they've contributed. And the U.S. election is just days away. We'll talk to a representative from the Brookings Institute in New York about the role Zoomers play in selecting the next American president. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It was a big loss for Canada this week. Dave Broadfoot, known for his roles as the Member of Parliament for Kicking Horse Pass and Sergeant Renfrew, has died. This is Sergeant Renfrew. When I entered my lonely log cabin on the 14th floor of Mountie headquarters, something seemed unusual. My desk was on fire. <laughs> Broadfoot is best known for his trademark comedic roles on CBC's The Royal Canadian Air Farce, but he started his career shortly after serving in the Navy during World War II, including an appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1955. Broadfoot officially retired from the Air Farce in 2005, but returned several times to the show and performed periodically over the past decade. Broadfoot was 90. There's some optimism for Alzheimer's patients thanks to an early-phase drug trial. Alzheimer's is thought to be caused by the buildup of protein plaques and tangles in the brain. The new drug, Verubicestat, inhibits the enzyme that helps to produce these plaques and tangles. After testing it on mice, researchers then tested it on humans and found it was also effective in reducing the markers of Alzheimer's in people. Raising your good cholesterol levels, known as HDL, may not be as beneficial as previously thought. Having a high HDL cholesterol level is widely believed to protect your heart. But a new study in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology suggests both very low and very high HDL levels were associated with a higher risk of early death not just from heart attacks and heart disease, but also from other causes such as cancer. The overall message from the study, focusing on your total and bad cholesterol, meaning LDL cholesterol, is more important if you want to protect your heart, adding that a healthy diet and regular exercise are still among the best medicines. He's probably best known as China's hottest grandpa, and 80-year-old Wang Dishun has no plans on slowing down. 
Wong first garnered international attention when he strutted down a catwalk topless last year. And, might I add, looking very buff. A model Zoomer, Wong has been working out every day since he moved to Beijing when he was in his late 40s, and he still starts his day with a half-mile swim and sets aside three hours for exercise every afternoon. So what's next for the 80-year-old Wong? He says he wants to try his hand at skydiving. He's known for his charitable work and maybe more so for one of his biggest songs. And now Manitoba's named a stretch of a northern highway in Tom Cochran's honor. The 322-kilometer section of Highway 391 leads to Cochrane's hometown of Lynn Lake and will be called Tom Cochrane's Life is a Highway. The 63-year-old Cochrane says he's humbled, adding Manitoba spawned some of the great names in pop music, and he's honored to be considered among them. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's the 60th anniversary of the short-lived 1956 Hungarian Revolution, an event that had a huge impact on Canada after our country received more than 37,000 refugees fleeing Soviet-ruled Hungary. They're known as the 56ers, and many of them went on to illustrious careers in business, politics, publishing, and the arts. Anna Porter was a key figure in Canadian publishing for decades. For the last 10 years, she's devoted herself to writing. Born Anna Shigeti, she was part of the exodus as a small child, and she joins me now. My mother decided we had to leave. For one thing, our apartment had been blown away by a shell. So uh, she decided it was really a good time to get out, and um, and we left in sort of mid-late November and crossed the border into Austria. We were in Vienna for a while, and then uh, we were in uh, Salzburg at a refugee camp, and we got an opportunity to go to New Zealand, which my mother thought was just the right place. It's a long way off. In fact, I can't think. I don't know how you could get farther away than New Zealand, and that's where we went. Um, I didn't come to Canada until um, 1969. Was it just you and your mother? My mother and I, yes, and my and my mother's sister, one of her sisters, and a cousin, and we all left in a little group. Two hundred thousand Hungarian refugees left after the revolution. So, did the government just let you go? What, yes. What, that was the first time the government actually thought it was uh, okay to leave up until then. I mean, there was a different government. The previous government that occasioned the uh, street protests, the nationwide protests, um, had been, you know, recalled by Moscow. And uh, the government of a man called Imra Noj, N-A-G-Y, um, took over, frankly, rather briefly, he was also a communist, uh, but a communist uh, with a different agenda and a much more uh, humane approach to uh, to life. And uh, and he would have been a very fine prime minister. But after the tanks came back, he was captured and executed. But that's another story. For that short period of time between um, October and uh, when the Russians came back, um, the borders were open. 
Wow. So, so you could get out. And I'm assuming that people realized that they better get out while they could. I think a lot of people did realize that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was a little kid. The Russians had already moved back in. They left briefly and came back November 4th. And when we uh, attempted to cross the border, by then they were back in. We got caught trying to cross at the border, and the Russian uh, commander of that particular group, he had a kid my age back in wherever the heck he came from. So he let us go. So you were lucky. I think we were lucky. Back to uh, the Hungarians that came to Canada. So just a remarkably, extraordinarily vibrant and successful community. Well, I, I think so. I mean, I've, I've followed, um, more than anything, I, you know, I've followed um, writers because I've always, well, because I always think that people who, who write for a living are in a position to change the world in some ways. I still believe that. So I've followed writers more than anything else. But, you know, in addition to the writers, there are some very successful businessmen. Why do you think this particular group had such a successful immigration? They were immigrants as opposed to exiles. They were not really waiting for the opportunity to return. They had no sense that communism was going to end anytime soon. And I don't mean communism. I really mean the uh, Soviet um, rule, the lack of democracy and lack of respect for human rights and all that. Um, I, I think that they, they really wanted to settle somewhere and start new lives, even if they were starting new lives from the bottom up because their degrees and so forth, uh, they were not able to use most of them. They did menial work until um, they could somehow prove themselves. So there was a sense that you had to prove yourself. I think they were fairly determined to blend in. When you look back on it now, what do you think is important for us to remember about this migration? God, that's and a really, really penetrating question. I wish I had a good answer for you. I think it's, uh, I think it's good to remember that um, human beings like to have freedoms and checks and balances in a, in a government that they really are not happy being in a dictatorship, of which we have a lot around the world still. So uh, human beings are happiest when they have a sense of fairness in their lives. Okay. Anna Porter, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Libby. That was Anna Porter talking to us about the 60th anniversary of the Hungarian Revolution. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up after the break, the U.S. election is just days away. What effect are Zoomers having on the race? That story when the Zoomer Week in Review returns. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. As we get closer to November the 8th, it appears the race between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump is tightening. And as usual, Zoomers are a key demographic. Which candidate does that favor and how is it playing out? I turn to Vanessa Williamson, a fellow at the Brookings Institute in New York. 
I'd like to look at the role of demographics. Um, we here, we focus on the boomer and older demographic. How important are they in this race, and to what extent does their vote perhaps matter more than other demos? So the thing that's important about older voters is that they regularly turn out to vote. Uh, I mean, obviously, there are also a lot of baby boomers, but uh, one of the key things about that demographic is that they're very reliably, you know, actually getting to the polls, while younger voters, particularly those, you know, under 30, sometimes stay home. So there's a skew in our voting population compared to our total population in terms of skewing towards older people. And what do you expect in terms of boomer and older turnout this time? I mean, I think we'll see something comparable. One interesting thing, of course, is whether uh, older people will be backing Trump in the same percentages that they backed Romney. Most people over 50 backed uh, Mitt Romney for president in 2012, while Obama did overwhelmingly better among younger voters. And that overall trend seems like it's going to continue. Democrats tend to do better with younger voters than older voters, in part because there's a demographic divide in the United States. So older voters are also whiter voters, while younger voters are more diverse. But, you know, the extent of that divide really will make a difference in terms of what the outcome is this year. There have been a, a number of uh, <laughs> what you people call October surprises, <laughs> most recently with the FBI. What impact do you think that will have? I think that in general, uh, partisanship in uh, this country is pretty strong. Uh, people do tend to end up back where they started in terms of who they're going to vote for. So that's one thing. And the economy tends to have a large role and the popularity of the incumbent president all have a large role. And I think these things really swamp these smaller matters. I mean, it's certainly true that there can be little blips here and there in the polls. But I think a lot of that comes from people feeling sort of temporarily discouraged. But at the end of the day, they're going to get to the polls and they're going to vote for the candidate from their party. I noticed, for instance, that AARP took out big ads saying they were trying to turn the conversation to things like Medicare, things that are important for the demographic. But there isn't really that much of it except for, you know, Donald Trump saying it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has been a very hard year, um, and as someone who, who works on policy issues every day, it's been a very hard year to get any policy issues injected into this campaign. It's a real wasted opportunity, I think, in a lot of ways, because obviously our country is facing very serious concerns from everything from our infrastructure to climate change to, you know, the aging of the population. All these things, health care costs, are very, very serious, and they're really not getting any attention this year. And I think that's, no matter who wins at the end of the day, that's going to have been a real lost opportunity. There has been some work done saying that actually this is probably the last election uh, when boomers and that cohort will have such a big influence. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, there is in the United States a, a long-term demographic shift that is happening. Uh, as I said earlier, America's older population is a whiter population. America's younger population is more diverse and votes differently from the older population. So a lot of people on the Democratic side sort of look at the numbers and feel confident about the future uh, in terms of, you know, what their long-term electoral chances are. But first of all, the United States system uh, is complex. It is not a simple get the most votes and have control of government system in any way. There are many, many checks and balances, which mean that even from a minority position, you can have a lot of power. And the Republicans have certainly exercised that power in the last couple of decades. So that's one reason that this sort of long-term demographic tide, I think, is something you shouldn't... If I were a Democrat 
looking at the numbers, I would not uh, put all my eggs in that basket. And secondarily, I think that, uh, you know, there's been a real challenge of voter suppression in this country, uh, a real move to remove people from the ballots that are qualified voters. So I think that, yes, there certainly is a long-term demographic shift that right now should play into the hands of the Democrats. But given our institutions and the ways in which our, our voting system doesn't really create a system of one man, one vote, those advantages are attenuated. Okay. Vanessa Williamson, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great to be here. That was Vanessa Williamson from the Brookings Institute on next week's election. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, a Canadian Zoomer musician turns 57 this week. We celebrate with Brian Adams in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. At the risk of rushing the season, a stage adaptation of the 1942 movie Holiday Inn is on stage at Studio 54 in New York. It's a tale of a song and dance man who attempts to leave the stage for a rural hideaway. In Madrid, the Prado has its first ever solo exhibition of a female artist showing 15 works by Clara Peters. She was part of the first generation of European artists to specialize in still life painting and was active in the early 1600s. In London, the return of Amadeus to the National Theatre has struck all the right notes with critics. Michael Longhurst's new production of the play about Mozart has gathered mostly four- and five-star reviews. And when in Rome, plan to visit the city's biggest new building in 50 years, which is set to join the Colosseum and the Pantheon as one of the Italian capital's architectural landmarks. Nuvola is a glass-and-steel box containing a cloud-like suspended interior that's designed to host gatherings of up to 12,000. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, Canada's own Brian Adams is celebrating his 57th birthday. He is not only one of the biggest rock stars to come out of our country, but one of the biggest rock stars anywhere in the world. Adams rose to fame with his 1983 album, Cuts Like a Knife. It was quickly followed with his 1984 album, Reckless, which produced some of his best-known songs, including... Run to You, and Summer of 69. In 1991, he released Everything I Do, I Do It For You. It was featured in the film Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and became an enormous success, spending seven consecutive weeks at the top of the Billboard charts and selling more than 15 million copies, which makes it one of the top-selling singles of all time. Outside of music, Brian Adams has also had a very successful career as a photographer. His work has included many of the cover shoots for our own Zoomer magazine. Right now, we'll hear the song many people think of when they hear the name Brian Adams. Here is Summer of 69. That was Brian Adams with Summer of 69. Adams is celebrating his 57th birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week when we tell you how to work while you play and play while you work. 
You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited, executive producer Moses Neimer, produced by Dave Woodard and Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.